Good evening, listeners, and a very Merry Christmas. Because we love you, we have made you a very special Christmas present, and we hope that you are as excited to open it as we were. A few weeks ago, we met a very, very special person, Mr. Chris Jury himself. I was pretty excited. As for M, well, you can probably imagine her reaction. So here it is, our interview with Chris Jury. Thank you so much again, Chris, for meeting us and for accepting the chocolate seashells gift uh, with such grace and incredulity. Enjoy. Oh, I wish it could be Christmas every day. (laughs) So welcome to this very special edition of our podcast. We have a secret special guest with us and I'm going to let him introduce himself. So over to you. Uh, I'm Chris Jory, uh, the actor who used to play Eric Catchpole. <laughs> and um, Em, how are you feeling about this today? I'm going to be very quiet. <laughs> Just sit quietly. <laughs> okay. Um, and Helen can't be here. Oh, because yes. we've got a special announcement about Helen as well, which is, you might have noticed we've not been drinking recently. Well, we have, but she hasn't. Yeah, and that's because Helen is busy growing a human. So Helen's having a scan today, so she couldn't join us, but she sends her love from afar. Yeah. And Congratulations, Helen. So, good news. Well done, Helen. Well done, Helen. Well done, Helen. Making a human. <laughs> uh, so, we're going to interview uh, Chris this morning, and I just want to ask you... And we have, we have tons of questions for you. We could go on for forever. Um, but how did you get involved with Lovejoy in the first place? What got you into the series? Well, I, I was called for an audition. And the story goes, I was in a play uh, in a theatre called the Bush Theatre on Shepherd's Bush Green, which at that time was above the pub, uh, a room above the pub on the corner. It's now moved into the old town hall around the corner. But at the time, the bush was above the pub, the bush pub. And on Shepherd's Bush Green, the other side of the Hammersmith, uh, the Shepherd's Bush, the other side of it, there's a block of um, offices. And at that time, the BBC Drama Department were in that block of Mm -hmm. offices. And this was 1985-86. So this was... I was in this play from January, six-week run in February 85. And while I was doing it, uh, I got called for an audition. Mm -hmm. The story was that they hadn't been able to cast Eric. And And the secretary came to see the play I was in, just because it was down the road, came to see the play, went back in the office the next day and said, I've found Eric, because I was playing... The Office Junior oh, okay. in a play called Rumblings. Mm-hmm. And they said, we found Eric. And then Baz Taylor, who was one of the main directors, uh, got me in. And then uh, I went to see them all, or I went to see the the director. And then I, I didn't hear anything about it for three weeks. And then I, so I assumed it was gone. Mm-hmm. And I then took a job with David Heyman uh, as an assistant director, assisting him to direct something for 784 mm-hmm. in Glasgow, because I, I want, I've always wanted to move into directing. Mm-hmm. And um, then they said, no, will you come back? So I went back three weeks later and everybody was in the room. Ian was there. Gosh. 
No pressure. Uh, you know, uh, Alan McEwan was there. Mm -hmm. Tony Charles was there. Everyone involved in the production was in the room. The two main directors were in the room. Dick and Ian were in the room. Gosh, wow, That's wow. So cool. <laughs> so I went back and I your excitement then. read it again and did it again. And then, you know, a couple of days later was offered it. Brilliant. And it was like, shit, right, okay. How did you break that to the people up in Glasgow? Well, I was actually very disappointed. And I said to David, what should I do? And for many, many years, I have to say, I did regret this. Oh, gosh. Um, but I don't now. But at the time, for years later, when I was trying to get into directing, I regretted the fact that I'd made this choice. Okay. But David Heyman, who is an actor himself, very, very successful actor himself, said, Chris, this isn't even a question. <laughs> you have to take mm -hmm. that. And it is the thing you're known for, probably, even, as an even actor, now, yeah. As an actor, as an actor, it is the thing I'm best known for, and I'm very proud of that fact. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad I did do it, yes. Of so are we. <laughs> <laughs> so could you just, uh, this is a, a tangent, but could you have had the opportunity to direct, or did you ever get the opportunity to direct Love Drugs? I think Ian McShane did, didn't he? Yeah, Ian did, and I was sort of, it. to be honest, one of the reasons I left in Series 4 when I did was because by then it had become definite I really did you know by then mm -hmm. I was in my mid-30s and if I was going to make the jump to directing I needed to do it and so I left in order to make a short film um, and I had the previous year once Ian started directing them I had been sort of sniffing about mm -hmm. to see if it was ever going to be likely that I would and it was made clear that it wouldn't ever be likely that I would. Oh, okay. And so that was one of the reasons why I chose to leave. You preempted one of our questions, which is, why did you choose to leave? Well, that's so why now. I chose to leave, because by then I really wanted to pursue the directing. So yeah. I left and um, made my first short film sort mm -hmm. of immediately after I left that same a few literally started pre-production a few weeks after I left. Oh, so you went straight into yeah. to doing that? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then I made a couple of more short films and was trying to get then hired as a director, and I couldn't. Uh, and so I was like, oh, God. Because <laughs> you, you're very strongly associated with a character like that. Getting acting work becomes very difficult. Oh, of course, because, yeah. yeah. Um, and I had been developing drama... I had a company called Picture That while I was doing Lovejoy. I'd mm -hmm. set it up between the two, the first series and the second series because there was a five-year gap between the two series. Mm -hmm. And I'd set this company up developing dramas as a producer. And I was still running that, but I ran out of money. So mm -hmm. I couldn't hire writers. And I had an idea for a cop show. And so I wrote it myself because I mm -hmm. ran out of money. And then that got me a gig as a writer on the bill. Oh, gosh. And then for the next sort of five years after that, I wrote for a living, wrote television drama for a living. Gosh, that's um, really interesting. So something something you'd done because you had to, rather, or because you'd run out yeah. of money. Yeah. It's always funny how life turns out, isn't it? And, so, and then after about those five years, I then finally got the first directing gig mm -hmm. uh, on EastEnders. And the guy who offered me that gig was the runner from the first series of Lovejoy Gosh. in 1985. And then Diane Parrish, of course, joined EastEnders <laughs> later on and it's all Diane coming full, cir full yeah, circle. Exactly, yeah. Gosh, it's a small world. 
Can I ask quickly, and then I will shut up because I know Em probably wants to get in, but you led beautifully into one of our other questions when you said you left in your mid-30s. How old was Eric really meant to be? And how did it feel playing somebody that was clearly meant to be quite a lot younger? We argue about this quite a lot. We do argue about this quite a lot. He's sort of ageless, isn't he? In 85, because Lovejoy was a proper series. Mm -hmm. Because the official definition of a series and a serial is a series you can watch in any order. Okay. So they have a fixed situation and you can watch them in any order. A serial... You have to watch in order order. or you don't understand, yeah. Now, these days, they don't really make series anymore. Mm, That's true, Except sitcoms. And even a lot of sitcoms, like The Office, are actually serial sitcoms. Yeah. Because traditionally, the form of a sitcom... Uh, or a drama series was the situation remain and the relationships remain constant. So people didn't learn from the things that had happened in the episode mm-hmm. and then learn and develop. They stayed the same. Uh, and Lovejoy was one of the last series that was made where that is was the case all the way Gosh, through. I never thought of that. And so in eighty five. He was meant to be uh, 18, I think. Yeah, I think that's what we said, because he talked about being a polytechnic dropout at one point, yeah. So I think he he was meant to be 18, 19 at the most, Mm -hmm. in 85. And because it was a series, when we came back, he was still meant to be that age. Although it was five years later, he was still meant to be that age. So when we did the first series... I was 28. Yeah, because we'd look, we'd look that up. <laughs> I, was, I was 29 when we finished the first series in 1985. Mm-hmm. Then we came back five years later. I'm now in my early 30s. Playing an 18-year-old. Playing yeah. this 18-year-old. And the dialogue would sometimes talk about, you know, bloody Eric, useless teenager. And I'd say, guys, we can't... Yeah. We can't, can't pull this off. Can't bull, I, you know, you're expecting a lot here. <laughs> So it just sort of just got forgotten. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was it. We suspend our disbelief when we're watching yeah. it. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's still obviously meant to be younger than the others, but I think yes. we're assuming early 20s by the later series rather yeah. than just because it, it otherwise... Certainly not I mean, you look you looked youthful, but you didn't look 18. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Did anyone influence how you played Eric then? Um... Not really. There wasn't, you know, you know, you know. It's a fairly straightforward character, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of the function of the show, part of Eric's job was to have everything explained to him. I mean, the accent was hilarious. <laughs> so <laughs> I got the part, and about three weeks later, after I got the part, I got a video, uh, sorry, a sound cassette tape in a mm-hmm. brown envelope through the post. Mm-hmm with no covering letter of any kind. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, what's somebody <laughs> recorded now? I, oh, my God, what is this? And, you know, unless you give us 10,000, we'll release, yeah, yeah, we'll this, release, we'll release this, to this yeah. tape to the press or something. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell is this? And I put it in the, the cassette player, and it was a tape of Suffolk accents. Mm. So I 
put it together that this must have been the BBC who had sent mm-hmm. me this tape because it was hilarious because you put the cassette in and then it'd be and I'm like what the anyway so you work out this has got to be the BBC has sent this tape no one discussed it with me or anything mm-hmm. so I sat there for three weeks and I'm good at accents mm-hmm. but I sat there for three weeks and I couldn't do a soft accent mm-hmm. because it's very particular it is I say it's like very specific Devon. yeah Devon's got it, it, it's not just who are no and I realised I couldn't do it so I thought, right, I'm just going to do Mama Set. I'll just do a little bit of a rural burn mm-hmm. and yeah. mm-hmm. So we got to the read-through of the first episode, and they'd sent this tape to everyone. Oh! But with gosh. no instructions about it at all. <laughs> That's amazing. And we, we were reading the first two episodes of this read-through, and the first episode, you've never heard anything like it in your life. <laughs> Is there still a tape of this? Was, was, and can you get yeah, it? <laughs> One of the guys was from Northern Ireland. And so he was from Northern Ireland doing this. He sounded like a sort of demented pirate. And it was, it, you know, it was like shit. And then there's just me just doing... And the, the gap between the two episodes, the producer said, oh, we forgot to say, by the way, because they mm. were all, sh- the producers were all shitted of something. You know, they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, what is this <laughs> cacophony of terrible accents? And he said, the producer stood up and said, look, sorry, we were meant to uh, say this before. Uh, no one do any accents <laughs> apart from their own accent, mm-hmm. apart from Chris, and that's fine. <laughs> that's amazing. So, in fact, no one did a Suffolk accent, including me, for the whole thing, and that was it. But you have a... I mean, we've, there's been the odd word where I think you did. You had a sort of a slight hint of an accent every now and again. No, so I it's believable that you're I, from... I, I had a country accent. Yeah. I just had a... But, it's, but, it, but it wasn't it too pronounced. In, in showbiz, it's called Mama Set. Right, OK. Which is... It's not an accent set anywhere. Yeah. Just a little bit of a rural vibe yeah. going down. Because... Suffolk is so particular, yeah. but also there's no one in there's no one on the Suffolk Essex border border with the Suffolk accent. No, exactly. Anyway, and start. Mm, and you're, you're getting anybody. into estuary and all of that. Yeah, anyway, exactly. So. Actually, if you went there and said what accent I'm going to do, you'd do an you'd end you'd up do an doing estuary accent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it 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 actually worked. <laughs> I was going to, so talking about the the read through and everything has brought us to probably brought us to the next question. What were the rest of the cast like to work with? They were, I mean, we just, we never stopped laughing. It looked I mean, fun to make. Phyllis, yeah. Phyllis Dudley um, and Malcolm became, you know, lifelong mm. dear friends of mm. mine. Um, and we just, the, the overriding memory of the thing is just laughter. Yeah, that's um, really lovely to hear. You know, it was great. Because the number of shows you read about, like, wasn't it Wasn't it the Likely Lads that they secretly just hated each other? Which really makes me sad. Yeah. We, you know, and Phyllis uh, and Dudley, God bless him, Malcolm's gone as well now, but these they were lifelong friends. Mm. And uh, Dudley especially, but uh, for me, but they, they were and are yeah. lifelong friends. And our memory of the show is basically one of laughter. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Dudley Sutton? 
well, well you know he was my dear dear friend and um, I miss him yeah. you know a lot and um, you know I still I mean fact because we knew he was ill mm. when he died you sort of cope with it as it were and then much later I keep you know I think oh, I must tell Dudley about that oh and gosh then, yeah you know you then you go oh god so yeah I miss him a lot he was an amazing man mm. an extraordinary man and um, you know a huge influence on my life in all sorts mm, of ways yeah. and uh a dear, dear friend of mine. I used to speak to Dudley perhaps once a fortnight. Oh gosh, yeah. So, um, so he was a dear, dear, close friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really sorry for mm. your loss. We were really sad yeah. about that. So I, yeah, I can't yeah, imagine. I mean, he, but uh, you know, he was eighty-five plus. Yeah. He'd had triple heart surgery twenty years previously. Gosh, oh, that's good know, going, isn't it? So, in any previous era, he would have been dead. Yeah. Then, so you know, he left us with a great defence of the NHS as well. Yeah, that video yeah. is absolutely brilliant. Well, his brilliant. funeral was the most amazing funeral I've ever been to. It was fantastic. His daughter um, Fanny organised it, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we, wa- we walked from the church up to the arts club, which was he was a. The Chelsea Arts Club, he was a, a very important member of the Chelsea mm-hmm. Arts Club. And so we walked from the church up and crossed the King's Road and we did a demonstration. So we all had placards and banners mm-hmm. for the NHS. Oh, brilliant. And in front, Dudley was in an open top car in a coffin that went in front with a New Orleans swing band. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> and we hadn't got permission or anything. We completely stopped the oh, King's yes. Road as this... Pro- Procession. Amazing. It was amazing. It was a truly amazing. I think event. you would probably have loved that. I would love that. That's... It was. It was without doubt the most extraordinary and wonderful funeral I've ever been to. It was fantastic. And that's good. That's good to hear. Do you have a favourite moment from the show? Of all the having just said you laughed all the way through it, we're now going to get you to get you to par it down to a, a specific. Well, you can't really is the truth because it's. It, Merges. There were particular. There was there was there was one where me and Dudley and I can't remember what in the script, but we had to talk about the campesinos, and one of us did the campesinos, (laughs) and then that was it. We we just couldn't. The poor director was going insane. Every time we said it, we just. You know, burst into hysterics. <laughs> but there was one time when we were all in the same shot. Uh, Dudley, Malcolm, me, Ian and Phyllis. And we were all, the camera was inside the room and we were all outside the room. Mm-hmm. In, outside the room, the other side of the door. And mm-hmm. on action, we were meant to open the door and come into mm-hmm. the room. And uh, for about five takes, the door, he would say, action, the door would open. We we would all just fall (laughs) into the room laughing. (laughs) And we all had our little routines. And um, Dudley would do this thing that always made us laugh, where he would do a Radio 4 drama, afternoon drama. And the dialogue would go, I love you, Hugh. (laughs) 
this I love you too, you. <laughs> and this would go on and on and on and we'd all be and I would do James Brown uh, sorry, farmer James Brown so he would take it to the hedge <laughs> like a milking machine <coughs> like a threshing machine <laughs> James Brown, take it to the hedge. It would send, these things would send us literally you know, mm -hmm. into hysteria. It was very childish. Imagine having that for much fun at work. Uh, it's called functional intoxication. Yes. We get it on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we just got to the end of the week, we just well, can't do any more. Can't I, think I anymore. subsequently became a director and often thought, how the hell did those <laughs> poor sods put up with this? Because they're on, you know, the directors on television are under constant time pressure. Oh, to of finish. course, yeah, yeah. And there's just us lot basically arsing about. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. No, it does really. And actually, it's not like it doesn't go with the character. I'm sure it, oh, I don't know. I'm sure it helped you well, play the character it, in the well, long I'm run. I'm not sure can... it did. It was just we were having a laugh and it's good did. fun. It is good fun. It's important to have fun at work. It's important to have chemistry for a, t for a TV show, though, isn't it? What, I think, that's, yeah, that, that, I think that, that makes that, a big difference. I think that is, Absolutely. I mean, it's obviously not crucially important because, as you say, there are shows where people hated mm. each other, but certainly for us, that chemistry was there. And actually, just... it's particularly obvious between, you know, I say Eric and Tinker, but mm. then maybe it is between Chris and Dudley. You yeah. know what I mean? That well, that, that chemistry is so obvious in the show. Yeah. Mm. And um, obviously you're both marvellous actors, well, you know, both marvellous actors, but if it was naturally there as well. Um, we talked a little bit earlier on about Eric being the, the kind of exposition character. And because um, I didn't realise really till we came to do this about that there were novels, Lovejoy novels, but there's no Eric in that at all. Have you read any of those books? Yeah. And uh, I knew John, Jonathan Grant, who wrote the books. Um, one of my friends uh, married his daughter. Oh, gosh. Okay. So in fact, when we came back to do the second series in 1990, that was the year they got married. So it was really weird because I was going to the wedding and I knew Jonathan by then because of this. Mm. So it was all a bit, you know, weird. Uh, and then subsequently, after I had become a screenwriter, there was talk of reviving Lovejoy. This mm -hmm. was Sky. And there was talk of Sky reviving it. Um, but based on the books. Mm -hmm. Because in effect, and certainly legally this is the case, Dick and Ian, uh, 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 Lafrenet... Mm. Uh, Clements, um, who had written Porridge and... Oh, yeah. You know, um, they, the they effectively devised an entirely new format for Lovejoy. Because as you say, I thought Eric was in one of the novels and Lady Jane was in one of the novels. She definitely is, but 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 as a slightly different character. Their characterisation is quite different, yeah. isn't it? And it could be that Eric is, and I've not read that. I've not read them all. I've no. read about half of them. So I think... That was my understanding. Mm. It's quite possible because they completely reinvented. Yeah. The, and and I think Jonathan himself <coughs> was not that happy, um, and subsequently became even less happy. Mm -hmm. Sort of because the, his books are sort of James Bond in yeah, the world, so they're much darker. It's incredibly dark. Yeah. And so then he's got this Sunday night. Comedy drama, Comedy really, drama. Yeah. And he, he's, you know, it's like, well, this isn't... 
But I'm sure it encouraged people to read the books. Yeah. It, it might have done, yeah. but the, well, there's a, then a problem, isn't there? Because I then guess. if you're expecting the Sunday yeah. night TV show and you get the very dark books. So I think that, you know, the genius of it was Dick and Ian. Of the TV show. Yeah. Man, I enjoyed them both. I enjoyed the books, but as a completely different... Because he's horrible in the books. Mm. It, which works brilliantly, but you couldn't... I don't think that... I think that would have been... I think on TV that would have been a bit... Well, well I'd like to see what Sky would do it, with it. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked then. No. It I think it would work it now, It would work now, actually. because moral ambiguity is much more common in TV shows. Yeah, that's true, actually. Back then... Good guys were good guys, bad guys were bad guys. And so you couldn't really have had a hero like the hero in a TV show. But now, you definitely could. Though even in the show, there was some moral ambiguity. The did one you we, think? Did, yeah. I mean, but, 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 but he wasn't a bad guy. He, he did things that he shouldn't Who? have done. Love the Lovejoy in the TV. Yeah, but, but he, but he, but he but was at heart a good guy, not a... No, but every t- even when he, he broke the rules... But always to a good end. But, you know, as you say, in the books, he's... Horrible. Misogynist, (laughs) violent, you know, whatever. So, Well, I've reread The Great California Game because I was obsessed with it. It's horrible. I reread it and I went, I read this at 14. I don't know why my mum let me read it. We didn't know I was reading it. Because that's incredibly dark. Mm. Um, Oh, I know what I would like to ask. What do you think Eric is doing now? (laughs) I've no idea. Uh, what's Eric doing now? Um, I mean, interestingly, in the various discussions about whether there was to be uh, reruns of it, you know, there were various, he's got an antique shop or he's still working in the pub the, or whatever. And uh, I was never sure he'd be doing anything like running a, running a shop. I don't mm. think he would have had the wherewithal to run a shop. I think he'd be... I think he'd be working for someone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though he's an executive or whatever he said <laughs> he was. An associate, that was it. Yeah, he's an associate. Yeah. Yes, but I don't think he, he had the wherewithal. Oh, Eric. Bless him, yeah. I, 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 have a, I, I think um, I really admire Eric's dedication to his professional development. <laughs> Even if it doesn't always work out, well, I just find it very endearing. We're both managers now, and we go off on, on one about, like, oh, his 360 review, Eric's appraisal, is and how would that all... Is he going to pass yeah. his appraisal? Data protection, yeah. Bless yeah. him. Go on, do your fun one. All right. There are a lot of bands mentioned. Eric likes going to see his sort of is it heavy metal and all of that sort of stuff. So we've compiled a list. So we've got a quiz for you. No pressure. And you just need to say whether it's a Lovejoy band or a real band. Okay, so we'll start. Well, let's start with an easy one. Dead Lizard, Lovejoy or Real? Uh, Lovejoy. Yes! One point. Definitely. <laughs> uh, Astro Vamps. Lovejoy. That's real. Isn't it? Hot Tramps. Real. No, that's Lovejoy. Mm. Although, real, I wonder though. if they are real as well. <laughs> I looked up the others to see if it, to see if it was. Um, okay, uh, Paralysed Age. Lovejoy. That's real. Jesus. <laughs> Holy Grail. Well, it could either be uh, Lovejoy. That's Lovejoy. Torn Limb. Real. No, that's Lovejoy. <laughs> oh. And I, we, were, and we laughed so much about that. Um, Virgin Prunes. Lovejoy. No, they're real. And uh, Hot House Flowers. Well, they're real. They're both. 
They are real, but they did feature in Lovejoy. They did. They did quite well. I quite like that. The interesting thing about that was, when we first did the show in 85, um, they had... Dick and Ian are a generation older than me. And they had written this character who was a heavy metal fan, but had a Parker. <laughs> and I said, a heavy metal fan wouldn't have a Parker. <laughs> a heavy metal fan would have a leather jacket. So when we came back in the 90s, that had changed. But when we first did it, it was all a bit confused. Mm -hmm. Because they were sort of looking at the cultural references from being, you know, oh, 15 course, yeah, years yeah. too old. It like, would be like me now, you know, trying to reference youth culture now <laughs> and getting it wrong. <laughs> and so they had. So it was all a bit, a bit odd. We quite like that aspect of the character, though. It did make us laugh. Yeah. Do you have anything? Do you have anything you want to add or tell us? Or anything <laughs> we? Uh, I thought she was going to say. Do you have anything you want to ask us? No, I'm oh, not going to say that. I'm totally not. <laughs> and do you have any? Be... Yeah. No, I was going to say. Is there anything particular you? No, want to say. Great pleasure. It has been thinking about the, the good old days. And I'm glad to hear they were good old days, though. That's uh, really it was, good. It was, you know, lovely to have been involved in something. That, you know, most actors don't get the chance to be in a long-running show. Mm -hmm. And it transformed a lot for me about... Because, you know, that did lead... I'd always wanted to direct television, but doing Lovejoy, being on a set every day mm -hmm. for five years and learning about how it all worked then really did make me want to do that. And um, not many people get the chance to do that because a lot mm -hmm. of acting in film and television is actually very stressful. Yeah. And unpleasant, actually. Mm -hmm. You come into a group of people who already know each other. You're, an, you know, they're all sharing these jokes. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, it can be quite cliquey, I suppose. And, and you feel like a complete outsider. Mm -hmm. You've got to remember your lines and, you know, you've maybe only got four lines and mm -hmm. you can't remember them and you feel like a complete arse. <laughs> but when you're... So I was in Grange Hill in the early 80s for two years and that changed my attitude to, to acting for the camera because I suddenly was in the show rather than just mm -hmm. coming in for a day feeling like this totally incompetent outsider I now felt like a totally incompetent inside <laughs> but but it made it made a complete difference a lot of actors never get the opportunity to do that and um, you know Fantastic opportunity and wonderful experience, the whole thing. Oh, I'm glad we could bring back memories in that case. And thank you so much. Thank for you ever to us. so much. Yeah, Honestly, this fun. is genuinely one of the most exciting days of my life. Ah. <laughs> thank you so, so yeah. very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Have an amazing Christmas. Bye. 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 Love, joy, Right, now do the end bit. Is that bit. all right? Yeah, do the end bit where you just say, um, that's the end. Happy Christmas, bye. <laughs> and that's the end. Happy Christmas, bye. <laughs>